Well, again, we're continuing the series called Unstuck, where we're simply looking at areas of life where it's common, it's, it's normal for people to kind of get stuck. And um, where we're going with this today is, today, as we just said, if, if you're sitting here in the room, is we are celebrating faith. This is like a faith-celebrating day. Um, in the early service, we celebrated uh, 10 adults who, who came up on the stage here, and they proclaimed their faith in Jesus. And um, also in just a moment here, we're going to have 10 students come forward and proclaim their faith in Jesus. And, and this is a normal thing for us at Bethlehem. Throughout the year, we celebrate faith, celebrate faith. And you might wonder, well, why do we do that? Does that make too much of a deal, big deal about us? Well, here's why we celebrate faith. Faith, we believe, is a miracle from God. And when Jesus, when he did his work, he died for our, as a payment for our sins, and he rose again to defeat death, he gave this promise that whoever believes in me will not perish but have eternal life. Faith is that thing which connects us to what Jesus did. And so when someone proclaims their faith in Jesus, that is something we celebrate, we celebrate, we celebrate. In fact, if you grew up in church... You probably had that person in Sunday school or that teacher in Sunday school who said, now don't doubt God. Um, you have to believe God. Now we, there's no place for doubters here. And, and we, we just build up faith so much that we almost vilify this thing called doubt. And that's what I want to dig into today. It's real easy for us to get stuck in doubt. Now, sometimes I have you guys raise your hands. I figured I would try this in the early service just for fun. No one did it. I'll see if anyone does here. Have any, are, have any of you ever had a spiritual doubt about God? You, you guys are brave. You guys are brave. How many of you sitting here today, right now, have a serious doubt about your faith in God? Okay, now the hands, don't, don't want to look around, don't want any elbows. Um, that, here's the thing. We celebrate faith. And this isn't just a Bethlehem thing. All Christian churches celebrate faith. But we celebrate faith so much and we, we hold it up so much that almost the unspoken rule is that you don't talk about doubt. We don't want people to know if and when we have a doubt when it comes to our faith in God because, well, doubters don't belong in church, right? Doubters, are, are they even Christians? You know, could you even say you're a believer if you have some doubts about God? For some reason, maybe it's just the culture, maybe it's just this focus on and celebrating faith so much, but doubt has become this big elephant in the room. And just sometimes it starts off small, but you know what? The more you ignore it, the more you ignore it, the bigger that elephant gets. And it's like, well, how do we handle this thing called doubt? And what I want to do today is simply this. Acknowledge that there is doubt in the room. A recent poll done by very good people suggests that two-thirds of Christians admit, admit is the key word, two-thirds of Christians admit that they've had a serious spiritual doubt in a season of life. Two-thirds admitted it. One-fourth of them admit that in the current time, at the, when the survey was taken, one-fourth admit that they are undergoing doubt in that moment. So who am I talking to today? Talking to a bunch of doubters and I'm preaching to myself as a doubter myself. Doubt is this real thing. What I want to do today is acknowledge it's in the room and there's good news. There's good news. God does not dismiss doubters. We're going to look at an unusual, special 
interaction that Jesus had with one person in particular, a person who doubted Jesus, not just a little doubt, a big doubt, but how Jesus addressed him will guide you through whatever you brought in with the doors today and whatever is waiting for you tomorrow. Before we get into that, I want to kind of unfold what doubt is all about. First thing I want you to remember today is that the distance between doubt and faith is a lot closer than you might think. It's not like we put people with faith on this side and people with doubt on this side and there's this huge difference between them. Actually, faith and doubt are just different ways to respond to the same thing. I looked up the definition for doubt. I kind of thought about situations of doubt. And this is the best I could come up with. Doubt is a lack of conviction because of a gap in knowledge. Well, I'm not sure if I should walk out on that ice. I don't know. Gap in knowledge. I don't know how thick it is. If you knew how thick it was, you would have conviction. Every situation I could think of where there's doubt in play, whether it's doubt in a relationship or doubt with regard to your finances and what you should do with your money, there's always this gap in knowledge. If only we knew what would fill that gap, there would be no doubt. So gap is this thing that, or doubt is this thing that happens when there's a lack of conviction because there's a gap in knowledge. Well, what is faith then? What is faith? It's very similar. Faith is a strength of conviction despite a gap in knowledge. Faith requires a gap in knowledge because faith is being sure of what you hope for, not here yet, and it's being certain of what you do not see. There is a gap in your knowledge, and that's where faith comes into play. You see, faith and doubt, they're not these polar opposites. They're just two different ways to react to the same thing. And what I want to show you today as we look at the story of this guy named Thomas is that the doubt you have maybe today or the doubt you've been wrestling with for a while, there's an easy way, a God way to get unstuck from it. We're going to be looking at a guy today named Thomas. Unfortunately, we've given him the name Doubting Thomas. I wanted to throw him a bone, so I'm going to name him Honest Thomas. Honest Thomas is at least honest about his doubt. He's not hiding it. He's exposing it. And here's one thing I just want to get in front of you right away. You see, because Thomas exposed his doubt about something really important, which we'll see in a minute, but because he exposed it, God could address it. Why do you keep hiding your doubt? If you would only expose it, God could address it. And we're going to see how in the story about Honest Thomas. Um, Before we dive in, the context for this, we're going to look at John's account of Jesus' life. John, we think at an old age, thought back, and he's looking at all the other writings about Jesus, and he says, "I I need to fill in my own little gap here. I need to show people who Jesus really was. And so John wrote this account of Jesus' life. And the part we're going to jump into today is actually Easter Sunday, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And here's what we find. All these disciples of Jesus, at least 11 of them, Judas was gone by now, but these disciples of Jesus were afraid, filled with, you guessed it, doubt. On Friday, Jesus was executed. On Friday night, these disciples don't want the same to happen to them. They they put themselves behind a locked door. Saturday rolls around. They're not leaving that room. Sunday rolls around, some weird things happen. Women go to the tomb. They come back and report that Jesus is gone, but that's not good enough for them. They stay behind that locked door all day long. So that when evening comes, Easter Sunday, 
This is crazy. Jesus appeared to them even though their door was locked. He said, guys, I'm alive. Look at my hands. Look at my side. And here's where John picks up the account of that first Easter Sunday. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, and I just want to pause there. If we're going to give him a nickname, at least call him Doubting Diddy. It's got a good ring to it and it's much more memorable. So Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples on that Sunday. Now here's the thing. We give Thomas a hard time because he was doubting. He was the only one brave enough to leave the room. He's out. We don't know where he is, but he's outside this locked room. He's, going, he's outside doing stuff while the others are huddled in this room. So maybe we should call him Thomas the, the Brave. Thomas the Courageous One. Thomas the Tank Engine. He was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, Thomas, Thomas, guess what? We've seen the Lord. He's alive. We've seen his hands. We've seen his side. We've seen the nail marks. He's alive. It's legitimate. And you just put yourself in Thomas's shoes for a second here. Guys, this is sick. It's been three days and you're joking about a rabbi who was crucified. This is not right. Thomas, he can't see any way this could be true. And so he responds this way. He's, this is so wrong. Unless I see the marks in his hands and put my finger where his nails were and put my hand into his side. And maybe right now he's, he's like just making it really clear to him. Unless I put my hand inside his dead body, living body as you claim, I will not believe it. It's getting a little gruesome, a little clear. Here's an ironic thing. You see, as Thomas entered that room, he was in the presence of what we call today the New Testament. There in that room of disciples, you had Matthew, the tax collector, who would later go on to write what we know as the book of the Bible called Matthew. Matthew recorded uh, the, the history of Jesus' life, uh, ending with his resurrection. There in that room of disciples was John, the apostle of Jesus, who would later go on to write this account of Jesus' life. He was in that room telling Thomas what he needed to know. And even though the, the, the words weren't written yet, but even though Thomas was in their presence listening to their testimony, he says, yeah, guys, I don't know if I can take your word for this. This is too steep for me to believe. And this is an interesting. People to this day have the same reaction. Sometimes I have the same reaction. Sometimes you have the same reaction. We open up the Bible and we say, this, this really happened? This might be a little too steep for me to believe. And I believe more than any other area of life, when the Bible, when there's uncertainty about the Bible, that opens wide the floodgate to doubt. And here's why. We've conditioned ourselves. As Christians, if you grew up Christian, we've conditioned ourselves to saying the Bible, the Bible is, is this word from God. And it is. But this Bible is the truth of God. You have to believe all of it or else you take none of it. And we put so much pressure on the Bible says, the Bible says, this is the, God's word. And, and to be clear, I believe the Bible is God's word, inerrant in every way, no mistakes. I believe that. But there can be a subtle shift that gets us into trouble if we're not careful. And I'll illustrate it like this. I heard one pastor put it this way. All of you in the room are alive today. All of you were born, I believe, right? Most of you 
I hope most of you still have your birth certificate. What if, what if you showed me your birth certificate and I found a little typo in the name of the hospital where you were born? Would that cause doubt into your existence? I don't think so. Or even if there was no mistake and I said, you know what, this date, I don't really know if they had this kind of typeset back then. I mean, you're really old and, and I don't think they had this font available during that time. And, and I could cast doubt into your birth certificate, but you'd be like, what does this have to do with anything? I'm pretty sure I was born. Now, what you'll find is this. As you go out into high school, into college, into the world, as you look at videos online, whatever it might be, you can see a lot of, good pe- a lot of people who are really good at casting doubt on the Bible. Well, don't you know what these manuscripts really said? Don't you know the, the different ideas behind this? Don't you know they were just borrowing stories? Don't you know about this myth or this legend? Do you really believe in a God who could condone behavior like this on this page of the Bible? They are really good at casting doubt when it comes to the authority of God's word. And so often when there's that little doubt in the Bible, it can open up a floodgate of doubt. When it comes to your faith. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. While the Bible is God's truth, your faith is not in the Bible. Your faith is in Jesus. Second thing I want you to remember today is that the Bible is faith's authority. The Bible is God's word. But the Bible is not the foundation for your faith. The foundation for your faith is an event. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, to which the scriptures testify. So if someone attacks the Bible, you could be, great, that's a good point. I'm not sure about this page in the Bible, but my faith isn't in a book. My faith is in the testimony about this event. And as long as Jesus rose from the dead, I think I'm okay. What if we started to, to stop making faith, have to figure out so many things? What if we just had a childlike faith that said, you know what, Jesus, my faith is in you. My faith is in you. We're, we're going to see Jesus develop this in Thomas. Where even though he's in the presence of the New Testament face to face, these guys are giving them uh, their testimonies that Jesus was alive. He still doubts. He still doubts. Like often we will too. So what does God do with that? John chapter 20 verse 26. It goes on. A week later, and I want to pause right there. It's in yellow, so I have to pause whenever it's in yellow. Um, a week later. Now get this. God knew that Thomas was wrestling in doubt when, when he came back. And, you know, you might think, well, if I was Jesus, I'd just suddenly appear again because now Thomas is here and we can settle this. And there, no more doubt, Thomas, I'm alive. But God, or Jesus, permitted him to go through seven days of doubt. Another account on Easter is when Jesus appeared to two disciples who were basically giving up. They'd left Jerusalem. We talked about them a few weeks ago. They left Jerusalem. They were on their way to Emmaus, seven-mile walk. Jesus walking with them most of the way. Jesus let them walk seven miles in doubt until it finally dawned on them who was walking with them. What might doubt look like to you? You know what? We, we, we wish that doubt could just be this thing we snap our finger or you know, we do a Google search or we email the pastor, which is good. I've gotten some great emails and I love answering them. But sometimes the doubts that God works through the most are the ones that you need to work through the longest. And in just a moment, Jesus is going to provide the strength to endure with the doubt, even if it lasts you for seven days or seven weeks 
or seven months. So a week later, the disciples were in the house again. Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, same thing he said before, peace be with you. You guys were so rattled and upset and afraid. Peace be with you. Peace. And then he sees Thomas there. And if you're writing the story, what would Jesus say to Thomas? Yo, doubting Diddy, here I am. Why were you doubting these other guys? You do not deserve to be in my, you know, how would Jesus react to a doubter? There's good news. He responds with grace. This is what he tells him. Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand, Thomas. I invite you, reach out your hand and put it into my side. You've been doubting because there was a gap in knowledge and you had a lack of conviction. Here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to see. Stop doubting. Believe. You've been doubting unnecessarily. You've been doubting unnecessarily. This is huge because what you see in this account is that God doesn't deny doubters. He doesn't distance himself from doubters. He, he invites them. If, if we're only brave enough to expose it and express it, God is willing to address it. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Right down to what Thomas was looking for. So a quick application from that. If there's something you've been doubting, wondering about, how could God do this or how could, how could he be this? There's good news. God wants you to ask him to fill that gap. Seek it. It might not happen all at once, but God invites you to take that journey with him. And for Thomas, it happened all at once. This, this revelation, this knowledge filled him up, and suddenly there was no room left for his doubt. And so Thomas said this. Honest Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. A confession of faith, putting his own faith in his own words. A statement of belief. There was no room left for doubt when he saw that Jesus was alive. Now, I just want you to take something with you because, again, we just, we tend to hide our doubt and ignore it and work around it. If you just address it and, and bring it to God and say, God, could you please fill in this missing gap for me? What can you do, God? What we learn from Thomas is this, that Jesus has what it takes to starve your doubt. He has the wisdom. He has the insight. He has what you need to give you faith. And, and sometimes what happens is you'll find that right away, it'll be this, oh, I read a page of the Bible and now it makes sense to me. Sometimes it'll be a season where God is working on you, working on you, working on you, walking with you. So that he can starve that doubt and bridge that gap and give you that gift of faith. But that might take a while. So one more thing, one more thing on your journey as you go through doubt. Here's how the story ends for Thomas. Jesus told him, told Thomas, Thomas, because you have seen me, because we filled this gap with knowledge, because you've seen me, you've believed. But Thomas, there was another way to go about this, a better way that would have given you more peace. Blessed are those who have not seen. There is a gap in knowledge. They have not seen, and yet they approach it with faith. Who have not seen and yet have believed. 
Now, when I was in Sunday school growing up, the message I heard, probably not what they said, but the message I heard was, you don't doubt God. You don't have doubts at all. You have a strong faith. End of story. But what Jesus is saying here is, it's inevitable that there will be gaps in knowledge. Because we're sinful people, we don't have the understanding to fill in all those gaps. Faith requires those gaps. And so really, it's a choice within ourselves. Will I, address, will I approach this with doubt or will I approach it with faith? And Jesus acknowledged, when you get there, you'll be a lot happier if you believe, even if you have not seen. That's just wishful thinking, right? I mean, there's some real issues that you can go through and real doubts. And it's not just like you can flip a switch and say, okay, I believe, I believe. And it's, it's, it's harder than that. So here's what I want to leave you with. You see, for Thomas and for everyone else, it wasn't about defending the entire Bible and understanding the entire scriptures. Faith is so much better than that. Faith depends on one thing. And when you find yourself meeting this gap in what you know or what you can see, my encouragement, last thing to remember today is number four, just wait. Would you just wait? Just hold on a minute before you just decide to throw God out. Because doubt will not survive if, in fact, Jesus is alive. You could go through yourself and you could try to defend every page of the Bible, but really your faith doesn't depend on defending a book. Your faith depends on an empty tomb, an event that you can look back on and study and know better. Your faith is based on a person. And as long as that person is alive, your, your doubt cannot survive. It may bother you for a while, but it will be short-lived. That's where your foundation is. So as we wrap things up today, I know that um, one-fourth of you are going through doubt right now, if you're willing to admit it. Two-thirds of you have experienced doubt that you're willing to admit. And I think most of you will encounter doubt, if not this week, sometime in the next month, in the next year. So when you do, here's a few ideas to, to bridge those moments when there's a gap in what you know and that gap is leading you to lose some conviction. A few things. Number one, would you just acknowledge the elephant? Stop pretending no one can see it. There's this doubt in your heart. Yeah, it's there. You don't need to hide it. You don't need to cover it up. Address it. Look at it. Study it. Validate it. It makes sense that we would go through seasons where there's doubt in our life. You don't need to hide it. Would you expose it to God? Would you say, God, there's a gap in my knowledge and understanding. I know that Jesus is alive, so I will approach this by faith in you. But could you help me grow? Could you give me knowledge? Could you help me learn? And God says, that is the perfect thing to ask. I would love to help you. Um, would you just acknowledge the doubt? And then if you're feeling bold, would you share it with someone else? Here at Bethlehem, we're passionate about growth groups, about small groups, sharing life with other people. And that is the perfect place to share your doubts with other people. Uh, we go through topics, we go through series, and this is a way for you to process different things when it comes to faith. And if you're not sure about things, we should be a church where doubt is safe to talk about. And finally, would you be ready for the journey? 
Because it might not be an overnight thing that God makes the elephant disappear. It might be a process. But my, what I know, what God's promise is, is that as he walks with you in that pro- process, he can actually use your doubt, use that elephant to amplify your faith like never before. Walk with him. Learn from him. And ask for wisdom. As we close here today, we're about to celebrate the faith of 10 young students. An amazing thing to celebrate. And in just a moment, um, if, if you're here in the room with us, you can see their faith um, in their own words. And you're going to hear some of them talk about doubt. You're going to hear some of them talk about their favorite Bible passage or about their, their, um, their goal for staying close to Jesus. Um, and as you watch that video, I think we can all connect with, with uh, where they're at, where we're at is that we're in a a place where each day we want to have faith. We want to. And God is the one who provides it. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, it's a miracle. Anytime someone believes in their hearts and says with their lips that Jesus Christ is their Savior and is their Lord. That's a gift that only you can work through your Holy Spirit. And we celebrate that often. I pray that we'd also be a church where we can be real about our doubts and that everyone listening to this message is maybe feeling a little bit more confident to go forward and to acknowledge in their hearts or maybe even acknowledge to a friend some of the things that they've been thinking about. All of us will have gaps in knowledge and all of us will have that decision to make whether to bridge that with doubt or to bridge it with trust. Help us stand firmly on the resurrection of Jesus Christ for in that event, our faith finds a firm foundation. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.